MailChimp presents. Have you ever heard of the dreaded customer? You know, it's when marketers throw their customers into one big messy group, failing to define them by their different needs or habits. It can show up when coupon codes meant for new customers are sent out to everyone, even return customers who can't use the discount. Basically, it's a mess. If you're a marketer, Intuit MailChimp can help you personalize your marketing campaigns so that you meet customers' individual needs instead of missing them. Turn customers into customers by personalizing emails and SMS based on real-time behavior data. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. SMS is available as an add-on to U.S. paid plans only. Visit MailChimp.com for details. The Jump is a podcast where I, Shirley Ann Manson, sit down with musicians and talk about the one song that changed everything. To sit down and talk with Open Mike Eagle is literally to fall in love. More than a renaissance man, with music, science, activism, television, podcasting, Open Mike Eagle is a man of many parts, as we say in Scotland, which means a man of many talents. He's also a true nerd, which to me is the highest compliment you can pay a man. We had so much fun talking about his process and his inspirations and all the surprising details of his experiences. I just can't say enough good things about this lovely human being. He's simply ridiculous in the best possible way. More Open Mike Eagle, please. Open my eagle. Mm-hmm. I am so thrilled to have you here today. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, well, you say that now. Let's see how you feel at the end of the hour. Oh, I like that. <laughs> sounds like a challenge. Oh. It's a bit of a challenge. But listen, I, I've been researching you all week. Mm-hmm. And I have to say you've blown me away. Oh, thank you. I'm looking at your litany of accomplishments and things that you pursue and that you're excited by and interested in, and it's so vast. Mm-hmm. Why are you this way? Um, I, you know, I just believe myself to be a sum total of a lot of strange life experiences and a lot of questionable or mysterious genetics. And I, I just, uh, I usually get too close to things that I enjoy and ruin them for myself is actually, that's a big part of what I've done for most of my life. There's so much going on. Let me explain some of the things I'm referring to right now. One would be your highly accomplished musician. Thank you. Second, you have a show on Mm -hmm. Comedy Central. You host two podcasts. I've hosted more, but... Have you really? Oh, my God, you're intimidating me so much. No, no, no. You are. And um, the thing I really, really want to ask you about is you have published a paper... Um, well, I should let you explain because this is your story and I, I need to know more. Okay. Well, you know, I co-authored uh, a study with the National Institute of Health um, and they were studying which parts of the brain were active or inactive when somebody's freestyle rapping. So it involved me as the first pilot subject in this experiment, uh, freestyling in an MRI machine for many, many hours. And then um, helping them construct this study of um, the results of a bunch of other people rapping in the MRI machine. Um, It was – 
I mean, it's one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It got published and, you know, it was everywhere from, you know, NPR to Discovery. And it, it was it was a lot. It was yeah. an amazing experience. Incredible. But this is 2013 when this happened and or maybe even 2012. Now I only remember that I think the prefrontal cortex uh, becomes less active and there's there's other lobes that become more active to achieve this this flow state. Wow. You're a self-confessed nerd. Oh, my gosh. I could not hide from that in any way. And there's music in your family? Uh, My dad and mom both sing, uh, both sing in church. My dad has uh, branched out a little. He's done some performance. He used to sing in a group when he was in college, like one of those uh, five-part doo-wop groups. He sang in one of those, yeah. I have the sense that... um, as early as I can remember, I always just gravitated to music. Um, there are specific things that my dad or my mom, you know, or my grandparents put me on to. My dad, I remember um, Gil Scott Heron was really, really, really big. I feel like he's kind of, if you know him, then I feel like my music makes a little bit more sense to people because he's a guy who did spoken word and mm-hmm. sang and, but wasn't really like a great singer, but it was just so much about the heart and, and the subject matter. Um, my mom introduced me to Easy e <laughs> when I was six or seven years old. Good choice. That was the first rap I ever heard was, yeah. was in her car. Um, and is that when you felt that you wanted to investigate rapping or like how, how did you get to where you are? Well, so growing up mostly uh, the south side of Chicago, you know, I'm, I'm in the hood and rap is just part of the tapestry of life. It is just all around me. So I didn't love rap growing up because it, it was just everywhere. It was just part of life. So I actually gravitated more towards like rock um, whatever else I could come across. Um, anything but. Yeah, pretty much anything but. And and it was a lot of watching MTV. So it was a lot of rock. It was a lot of Headbangers Ball and Alternative <laughs> Nation and all you know all of the stuff that they had going on then. Uh, that was more interesting to me because it was outside of my purview. Where rap was just around me all the time. It wasn't really until I was in high school and um, this particular kind of subset of hip hop. A Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, like The Roots were coming out, Common, Most Deaf. Like that part, that really resonated with me. And um, when I started to hear that kind of music and dig into it, and like Wu-Tang, like that sort of stuff really opened me up and got me wanting to rap because I felt like, oh, I have a place in this now. Hear the darkest blues, might not be synesthesia, might be your apartment fumes. Good, good, get up and dance. Good, good, get up and dance. I will, will wipe my son's ass and get shit on my hands. I started rap as a freestyle rapper. So um, I started in ciphers. Uh, me and my friends would, um, we were trying to participate in the local b-boy scene so what that meant for us was that uh freestyle rapping so you know rapping what you know no writing just trying to come up with lyrics off the top of the head and it was all in your head you never notated any of never it. wrote anything um in in my nerddom what i would do is i would <laughs> catalog words like i would think of words oh plastic oh, what plant what was plastic drastic classic spastic and I would I would write those things down just to like catalog them in my Trigger. mind 
Right. I recorded my first verse my senior year, and I actually heard that back recently, and it's really terrible. <laughs> it's aggr- it's Fantastic. Aggressively bad. You're lucky you have a copy of that. I, I, I just recently uh, received it, and, I'm, and I was very happy for that. I probably freestyled for four or five years before I ever like wrote. And do you take more pride in freestyle than written work? Uh, at the time, yes. Now it's it's completely flipped. So, you know, this this whole program is about the idea of, uh, you know, stepping into your career, mm. working, producing, and then coming to some point in your life that, you know, you take this jump. Mm. And you picked the song Qualifiers. Right. And it was from Dark Comedy? Yes. In 2014. Mm-hmm. When you wrote Qualifiers, mm-hmm. where was that in your... Where were you actually in your life at this point? I had put out two solo albums and a collab collaborative album with a producer. Because this album was the one that kind of broke you, right? This was the one, the first one that really um, got me attention, I feel like. like serious in mainstream attention. music press yeah like before that things that i put out got attention from writers who paid attention to underground rap Mm -hmm. i was something to them but this was the first time i had songs that kind of got outside of that and and qualifiers was a was a big one and you picked it because why i feel like there's a lot of great songs on that whole record thank you um i feel like that song was that song felt like an impact. I, I've written a lot of songs that I think are good. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't often have the impact that I think it could have. And that was one that only had it but just exceeded it. It was like, oh, this is really, this is really a good thing. People respond to this. People react to this. And... It was me doing this experiment with this relatively newer rap style that was happening in the world um, that, like, you might attribute to maybe, like, Drake now, this kind of, like, um, have sung. Sing song. Yeah. I call it sing song. Yeah, it's a, a sing song, melodic kind of rap flow with a beat that drum-wise kind of matches the tempo of a lot of what was happening at the time. But then you got these chords under it that are more like kind of like art, pop, indie rock kind of chords under it. And on top of this this tapestry, what I'm doing, you know, content-wise is very personal. I remember I got the idea for that song. I was, my son was... I think four at the time, maybe five. He was really into breakdancing, really into breakdancing. And it was something that just hit me watching him breakdance. And it was, it was, it was something about me wanting to say a line about wiping his butt. And 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 not that I had to wipe his butt anytime, right? And <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't even something that was happening at that time. But I wanted to mention that. You know, as a rapper, I wanted to mention... To acknowledge. Yeah. Okay, so I go, I will wipe my son's ass and get shit on my hands. He get in my car and be like, Daddy, play some bus driver. Why the fuck it take two lines to do a one-liner? Why take three beats to do a two-step? Sick days, I got two left, so I take five Dave Brubeck. So 
all of that comes off of wiping my kids ass because we go back to the ass wiping it, 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 again it, it is it, like that's like that's the central it really is the theme that's of the, the song. central idea <laughs> of this verse because i'm talking about him and then my stream of consciousness went to he actually at that time every time he got in my car he would ask me to play bus driver um who's a, a another rap rapper who's a friend of mine who's a friend of ours who's he was also listening to his music a lot at the time um so what rhymes with bus driver one liner, and so like, why why did it take two lines to do a one liner? Because it takes it's a setup and a punchline, even though it's called a one liner. And why it take three beats to do a two step? Because that anyway, it's all math, right? Um, Nerd. Yes. <laughs> so then I'm at two step, and I and I'm and and then the Brubeck pops into my head. And how do I get to Brubeck? How do I make Dave Brubeck a punchline? Sick days. I got two left. So I take five, Dave Brubeck. Take two lines to do a one line. And why you take three beats to do a two step? Six days, I got two left. So I take five, Dave Brubeck. I make jazz jokes, so I'm flat broke. So before you released the song, before anybody heard it, Mm -hmm. how did it start? Like, are you at home? Are you writing in your notepad on the train? What's happening? Um, I had this beat. I had the beat. In your head? No. Uh, there's a buddy of mine. Uh, his producer name is Taco Neck. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was my name. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so, yeah, he sent me this pack of beats, and there was just, just this one. I used to just listen to this beat over and over again, and I never knew what I was going to do with it until that moment at, at my kid's breakdancing practice where I'm like, oh, wipe his ass. And then... And then it just <laughs> sorry, it's just so brilliant. <laughs> it it made me want to make this song about I guess deconstructing the rapper image. Cause the the thing at the time, and it's mostly been the thing through hip hop history, is you know, we're the best, I'm the best, right? So I wanted to make something that felt more realistic to how I actually think and feel, which is we the, the best. best. <laughs> we the best. We the best. Mostly, sometimes the greatest. Kinda, you know what I mean? Like yes, that, of course I know. And, what and you so mean. respect my qualifier. So like that. That's that's like saying respect me as an individual. That I, that that the way I see things is this way, and it's just as valid as anything else. And not only, I mean, that was that was the motivation behind this song. But it's also that's like that's kind of the bent that's kind of been the mission of my whole career is is, hey, rap world, accept the weirdos. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Amen. Make yeah. space for us, yeah. you know. And I mean, you do. You're a great believer in autonomous thought, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to be a big thing for you. You don't feel that you're part of any scene or do you feel that you fit in somewhere? Well, I feel like I fit in with independent rappers but the not in the financial sense and i've heard you reference chance the rapper right mm-hmm. in this absolutely case. And, and yes example. he 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 holds very tightly to his designation as independent but from my standpoint being signed to apple is just as uh, you know it's, it's it's just as major of a corporation as being signed to universal or sure. warner or whoever i consider independent uh to be more about having the artistic freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do from song to song, from project to project, to not have to like answer 
to anyone. Anyone who's very popular, they put out work and whatever record label they're on, they're looking at that project to be one of their big earners for the year. For the quarter, not yes, even for the, the year. quarter. You are so right. For yeah. the quarter. And if if people don't like it and it misses the mark, like people are losing jobs. Like this it's serious. Mm-hmm. Um and I prefer not to be in that situation. I prefer for people's jobs not to depend on me delivering something that a lot of people like. Because that that might not be what I want to make. If I happen to make something that people like, that's awesome. It was just one of those songs, though, that like I knew it was something. Because when I burned it onto a CD and put it in my car, I kept playing it over and over again. And I was like, oh, I think this might be something. We the best mostly, sometimes the freshest rhymers. We the tightest kind of, respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers, respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers, respect mine, respect mine. How do you view your role in the production? I mean, do you take an active role in that or are you more passive? What's what's your relationship to that? Um, well, you know, it's it's different now because now deeper into my career I have more of an understanding of what production actually means especially in hip-hop because we use the term producer as interchangeable with beat maker a lot of times mm-hmm. um, as my career has progressed I am I understand now that production is stuff that takes place outside of the beat making process and my recording process that, that a lot of times it's somebody else or me a lot of times it has been me who's going back and, and doing beat edits and doing this vocal production here and, and bringing in musicians to play on this part or that part, like that whole thing. You definitely have more of a old school approach to songwriting, it feels to me. I think so. And I think I think that comes down to a lot of my musical influences, which are very, um, you know, indie rock based in a lot of senses. Like They Might Be Giants is my favorite band. Okay, you need to explain that to me because that was like, I read that and I was like, this is one of the strangest things I've ever I, I heard. You know, in, in No terms, disrespect to them either, by the way, but it was just a really odd reference. I think that a lot of my musical sensibility comes from them. I think that... Why? What, what, what was this? Were they speaking to you at a young age? Yes, absolutely. I first, like, I first heard, my the first song I heard from them, I was nine years old. I heard their song Birdhouse in Your Soul. And that was a song that, like, I caught on MTV. Um, 120 minutes. 120 yeah, minutes. Yeah. Matt Pimfield. Yeah. And and I managed to uh, capture that episode on a VCR, uh, VHS tape, which I used to do a lot. And played that song over and over again. Like, I, I, I loved that song. Because um, there's something about... Like, the song is ultimately about a nightlight, and the lyrics are very strange. It's really catchy and melodic and you know, brilliant for what I look for. And a lot of the lyrics are very dark yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and not clear. A lot of it's not clear. And, and I feel like I carry that forward in a lot of my aesthetic, that, like, I want, I want to say a dark thing. 
I wanted to sound pretty. Mad at lost in that black smoke. Fuck you if you're a white man. Then as soon as I speak for black folks. Fuck you if you're a white man. And things I can't speak for black folks. Let that soak in your rap post. If your head hurt and your back broke. Have black soap and have crack smoke. I admit that this is an imperfect blend. Hold up, it's my turn again. I'm playing 13 games of words with friends. Lift your hands, lift your head if your clothes clean and your kids fed. Mom potty trains with your pissed bed and he can tell I'm heated like infrared. Yeah. I mean, let's go back to the lyrics of, of qualifiers because I, I've read them and read them and read them and, and over and over again and I can't quite get my head around mm-hmm. certain parts of Sure, it. yeah. Did you really go to Africa? Yes, that, that had happened the either that year or the year before. And what happened when you went to Africa? Okay, the part that's in the song, because the whole Africa trip is a whole story on its own, um, where um, me and a producer friend out here who actually just passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, we went out there to um, work with these youth in Kampala, Uganda, who were part of this uh, hip-hop program. So um, we write this grant. Um, well, no, I didn't write it, but uh, some buddies of mine wrote this grant to send us out there to um, you know, teach hip-hop to these kids who are already in this hip-hop program out there. And we get off the plane in Kampala. Uh, this guy meets us. We hand him the uh, the check for room and board, which is in the grant that they're supposed to get because their program operates out of a house and this is to feed and house us. Um, he drops us off at the house. They open the door for us. Um, we make ourselves comfortable and we don't see him anymore. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. It's not even it, remotely but, funny. But no, but it, but it's, it is kind it, of it's funny. It's a comedy. It's <laughs> certainly a comedy. Um, apparently, in between us writing this grant and actually getting there, the program the program had shut down completely. Oh come on! And they hadn't told us, so there was no program. Like we literally had to go out and get our own kids to bring in, and it was a lot. Well, at least they put you in a house. They did. Looking well, that, on the that, bright it side, was, it was a very. It was not a good house. The house flooded. The house flooded. The house is at the bottom of a hill, um, and so when it would start to rain. And let's say it rained for three or four hours, like you get like a foot of water on. And I can remember this one night where it just would not stop raining. And I'm sitting here thinking like, wait a minute, is it just not going to stop raining? Like, is that possible? (laughs) Then you remember like nature doesn't give a shit. But one day while we were there, one of the local rappers took us around. So one of the places that we went to one of the local hip hop stations and um, they played one of my songs. He did not like that song. And he did not pretend to like oh that song. Oh, my God. He was like, what was that? <laughs> like, we're on the air. Oh and God. it's like, what, what was that? It is not hip hop. Like, Did he pick the track to play? I don't think so. I think it must have been me. But, <laughs> you know, I, this is what I, what I learned out there is that they have a very specific idea of what hip hop sure. means based on. American TV. Yeah, very flat exported images. And honestly, it's based on some of the worst we have to offer. So this is the, the Ugandan DJ telling me that my, my you American don't have rap it. music is not it. You don't have it, dude. Go not on. It, sir. So, so that whole second verse is about that, that day. 
Keep that whole second verse about that day. I went to Africa, they played me on the radio. And did I weird the people out? Yeah, maybe so. Cause all they knew was jive, and all I do is vibe. And bright green light made the program director lose his mind. He said, what type of rap is that? Ain't no bitches hoes. And I ain't even being funny, homie didn't know. Should've said it's whimsical, like Serengeti taught me. My thoughts are very lofty, response time is very false. I was trying to process how I felt about it and, and, and process it through this lens of the mission statement of the song, which is my hip hop is like this. This is mine. This is I, I am. I do not feel like I am the best. I feel like I am the best sometimes. Like I'm trying to make a three dimensional Michael Eagle space in rap through the song. And that Africa experience specifically at the radio station was one of the things that left me feeling like I needed to do that. You know, mm -hmm. like like I needed to make the space for myself. I mean, you've done a lot of volunteering. Mm -hmm. You you give some of your tracks away to to really amazing, in my opinion, amazing causes. You stand up for immigrants. Mm -hmm. You um, is is being a rapper, being being immersed in hip hop. Are are these ways in, by which you consider yourself an activist, or is it an entirely separate? experience being you know do you think of yourself as a musician or do you feel any responsibility i'm asking you a million questions well, in one question i think i think i hear it though i think i hear it and i i think just being uh being raised to be the type of african-american man that i am has come with a lot of social awareness and comes with the type of awareness that is not strictly relegated to my experience but to just understand like institutional oppression and all the different forms it could take so wherever i can i do try to use my platform or choices that i can make to help you know shine lights on oppression like i always feel like i could be doing way more you know because i'm not like i'm not which is hilarious to me because you do so much well i'm not i'm not out here picketing you know i'm you know what i mean i'm i'm not demonstrating I, i'm not i'm not using my everyday i use not my yet. everyday time very selfishly good you know um play a lot of video games you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> too i mean it's interesting now because it makes total sense to me that you would pick qualifiers but explaining as you have but i was also curious about the part in the song where you talk about jazz the lyrics at the end. Oh, 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 interesting, interesting. This entire part. Right, read it to me first. I didn't write the words you hear me singing. I didn't sing the line before this one. You're not the one I was addressing. That person took a train to Africa. And simultaneous events don't happen. We are isolated temporally. And the part is never called the whole thing, though it bothers us to know it so. That whole thing. Sounds like a hymn. That whole thing is lifted. From a They Might Be Giants song. <laughs> Just to bring us full circle. <gasps> that whole thing is lifted from this super obscure They Might Be Giants song. Wow. And I assume they know this. Yeah, I told I'm not them. getting you in trouble. Yeah, I told them. And they must have been really chuffed, right? Uh, is that good? I don't know what that word means. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, that's a Scottishism <laughs> for um, happy. Uh, uh, yes. Because I was nervous about it at first because I did it. Uh, I had performed it 
uh, with this really awesome band as part of this um, live theater show that used to take place in Minneapolis. And um, somebody saw it and tagged them like, hey, did you know he's saying part of your... But, you know, it was a fan. Sure. And they retweeted it and were, you know, and, and were happy about it. Yeah, of course. And, I'm sure it's a huge like compliment. But when the song came out and it was received the way it was... And then the whole album was embraced. Mm -hmm. Did that change the way you write? Did it change the way you think about your creativity at all? A, a big thing for me with that album was I'd done this thing where I had like these songs that were lighthearted, some that are damn near silly, and had other songs that were really, really deep and meaningful for me and kind of dark and heavy. And in my mind, I was very, very worried that this wouldn't make sense to anybody, that it had to be one or the other. And I think in my past projects, I had like gone back and always like taken things off that I didn't feel like fit because I felt like there's no way anybody's going to accept if my project is not either all silly or all heavy. Like it's got to have some cohesion on that level. And just to learn that that just is not true. And it's the kind of thing that makes you rethink any sort of internalized rule you have about how you put things together and really deeply think about it and and really challenge yourself because you don't know if half of that shit is true. Open Mic Eagle, you are a dream. Ah, thank you so much. The Jump is an original series from MailChimp and I'm your host, Shirley Manson. It's produced by Lyra Smith in partnership with Little Everywhere. Executive produced by Dan Gallucci, Jane Marie and Rushikesh Hirway. Original music composed by Rushikesh Hirway. Hirway.